Today, we're going to look in our warrior sermon series at a really familiar passage. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. I've titled this, That All the Earth May Know. That All the Earth May Know. So in your Bibles, you've got Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. If you guys will bear with me, I'll try not to belabor much. I really want to let the Word of the Lord do the speaking today. But we are going to work through chapter 17 and the story that most of you know as David and Goliath. David and Goliath. So let's start. We're just going to look at verse 46 and 47 to get started. And then we'll work our way through the chapter here and hopefully you can hear what the Lord has for you. Excuse me. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 46, the word of God says this. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. That is David speaking to Goliath. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Amen? So last week, you'll remember, we led the choir, led the battle. Remember that? And again, what you're seeing over and over in a lot of these stories, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, we're not going to do that one probably, but what you're going to see over and over in these stories is that who wins the battle? The Lord wins the battle, right? We have to execute, we have to do our part, and we're going to see that today very clearly, but the battle is the Lord's, all right? And so I hope today, and I think we've kind of come to this place pretty well, but I hope even today that you don't get discouraged because the battle isn't yours, right? It was interesting today, I saw on the news this morning, there was one of the commanders who was figuring out how to pull the, the final thousand soldiers out of Syria and into Iraq. And here's this guy, and all he is thinking about is how he's maneuvering this situation to protect his troops and to accomplish his objectives. And that would be like a lot of pressure, wouldn't it? Right? To think that all these people that you're trying to protect in a way and you're worried about ISIS and you're worried about the Kurds and you're worried about Turkey and you're worried about Syria and you got your troops and how do you make all this stuff work out, right? Well, here's the good thing today. I want to tell you, you're not a general in the army today, all right? The battle is the Lord's. What we need to do is hear his voice. That's the hardest part, I think, and then obey it. When you hear the Lord, Obey his voice, the battle is his. And then when he takes over the battle, some amazing thing happened. You guys already know sort of the end of the story today, but again, I want you to make sure you got the point. First thing I want to remind you a little bit today is that going into battle, we need to be prepared, right? Have any of you ever tried to run a marathon without practicing? I did try to run a 5K on almost no practice, and it was pretty disastrous. Even David, he smoked me, right? 
Uh, fortunately, I had at least lost a little weight, but that's about all I did. I didn't do any actual training, okay? How do you think that would work going into battle without training? I mean, if you've been reading Michael's stuff, you could see all the training, and they've even felt inadequate in the training they've had to go do what they needed to do, right? But yet they've had all this training. Here's what I want to tell you today. I think sometimes we think God is just going to all of a sudden come and save the day with us, and he's just going to do it without us doing any practice at all, right? Have you guys ever prayed that way on a test before? Lord, I didn't study. Lord, I haven't done my homework in three weeks. I've had a real good time with my friends, but today, if you would, would you just give me a C-plus on this test? I would really appreciate it. Amen? Sometimes that's how we battle as Christians, right? Well, I haven't really been reading my Bible, and I haven't been praying that much. I really haven't been focused on worship, but God, I could use a victory today. Really? Huh? We need to be prepared. Let me give you something to think about here. This is pretty good. This is from... Change that sometimes happens slowly. Most people know of Rosa Parks as the black woman who refused to go to the back of the bus and ignited the 1955 bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama, a boycott that became a key victory in the civil rights movement. (coughs) While Parks' decision appears to be a spur-of-the-moment act, it was anything but that. Parks had spent the previous 12 years helping lead her local NAACP chapter. The summer before, she had attended a 10-day training session in Tennessee at a labor and civil rights organizing school. For some time, she had been studying other bus boycotts, and she had already been arrested in one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, two years earlier. Do you see all that? We don't really think about that, do we? We think of the one day the lady decided, you know what? I'm not sitting in the back of the bus anymore. But this was a prepared, thought-out, practiced, prayed-up, long series of events that led to that. Well, I think the Lord probably has some battles for you to win and to conquer, but we need to be practiced up so when the battle day arrives, we are ready to go. We are ready to go. Um, One of the really interesting things, I just watched this not too long ago. Um, I'm going to forget the title right now. But there's a story of a young man who's decided to make a free climb uh, up one of the largest mountains there in Yosemite. So do you guys know what free climb is? You've seen people, they do the ropes, you know, and they make their way up with the ropes, and they grab hold of little crevices, and they use their fingertips and their toe tips, and they dig all around, right? Well, a free climb is when you do all that without any ropes, So this guy is going up the face of the mountain almost 4,000 feet. And he's going to go up 4,000 feet, no safety net, no ropes. Now, do you think uh, one morning he just decided, ah, I think this is the day. Here we go. (laughs) What's really cool about the video is that it shows him day after day with the ropes practicing every single move. And they had the the most difficult moves are all mapped out. And so you'll watch him actually slip and fall, but the ropes catch him, right? But he is practicing every move and every possibility, every option. And he has that whole mountain memorized. Like he eats it and drinks it and sleeps it till he knows where every crevice is on that mountain. He gets up one morning and decides, you know what? I think this is the day. He gets out early. The camera crews all swarm up, 
And he starts about, I don't know, 300 feet up, and he's like, no, I'm not doing this today. <laughs> and I thought that took some real courage, didn't it, right? Sometimes you have to be able to say, this isn't the time, no matter what we're doing. Sometimes we, in our own boldness, think, oh, this is it. And he was like, nope, this is not it. And so he's back down, and everybody could have called him a coward or whatever. And then a few weeks later, he's like, I'm going. He went up a little bit different when the camera crews weren't as on him. He conquers this mountain in about a little over, a little under four hours. I don't know if I could walk 4,000 feet in <laughs> just walking. He climbs it. No ropes, no nets, nothing. Right? But the whole point of that is that he practiced every move for years to be prepared for that moment. You hearing the Lord today? We need to be in practice, right? We need to be prepared so that when that moment comes, we're ready to go. All right, guys, hang with me here. We're going to make our way through this passage. Look down at verse 1, and we're going to look at a tricky situation. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Saka in Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephesdamim between Saka and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his head, excuse me, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you are excuse me, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects in service. <coughs> verse 19. Excuse me, verse 10. Then the Philistine said. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. All right, everybody got the picture so far? Real simple. We have two battling armies, two camps, encamped up on the mountain. In between is this valley, maybe a light little plain there. And then the giant steps down from Gath, right? We all know the giant named Goliath. Uh, six cubits in a span, so we understand that right. Goliath would have been over nine feet tall. So add another three feet to me this morning. Two feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Right? He's a big man. Okay? Not only that, but he had this coat of armor, and the, the armor itself weighed 125 pounds. 5,000 shekels. Not only that, but for his spear, he had a weaver's beam, a weaver's rod. And on the end of that was an iron point, and the iron point weighed 15 pounds. How far can you throw 15 pounds? Maybe from here to there. If I'm drawing downhill, I could get it that far. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Nine feet tall. Weavers, for his spear, he has this weaver's rod. He also has his own armor bearer. He has 125 pounds of armor on, and he basically is defying the armies of Israel. Hey, Saul's your king. Send down a representative. Let's make this easy. 
You send your best. I'm our best. Let's come together. We'll have it out. Whoever wins, then that country will take ownership of the other country, right? You guys are all familiar with that story. Goliath tries to make a deal, but Saul and Israel, what is their reaction? They were, the scripture says they were dismayed and they were terrified. All right. In the absence of faith, there will always be fear. Are you hearing me today? Again, the Lord's speaking to my heart. I'm trying to figure out this whole publication thing for my friends in India. I don't want anybody, but I don't want to make a decision out of fear either. Right? The Lord has a path. He knows what I need to do. I just need to hear it, and then I need to do it. Today, maybe the same thing for you. You might be scared to death of something. Maybe you're dismayed and terrified. God says, don't let the fear win. Find the faith. All right? Keep listening. All right, look down at verse 12. David's introduced. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite. <coughs> Excuse me. His, name, his father's name was Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had a total of eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, and he took a stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Verse 19. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp, and as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. Look in verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who, look at this, into verse 26, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David sees things that nobody else has seen at the time. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28, when Eliab, Dave's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? (laughs) Don't you love brothers? Right? So again, real quick in summary, what's happening, right? 40 days, 40 days again. Goliath comes down every day. Jesse says, hey, my three oldest sons are there in the battle. I'm a little bit scared about them. I hope they're doing okay. David, run down to the battle lines. 
take some cheese for the commander. You got to keep the commander happy and take some bread for your brothers and go down there and see what's going on. Be my eyes and ears so I can know that they're okay, that everything's okay. So David makes his way down there, and while he's down there, he hears the war cry, and things are lining up, and everybody's looking at each other, deciding, is this going to be the day? And the same thing happens all over again, right? I mean, you can just imagine the earth shaking as Goliath comes down, right? As he comes out. And he again says, you know, I defy the armies of Israel. And so then David is like, what is going on here? And the men start talking on the background, right? Like, well, who's going to go fight Goliath? You realize you have tax-free living for the rest of your days, right? No taxes. You get the king's daughter. You'll be a wealthy man. Surely somebody will step up, right? And does anybody step up of that crowd? Not a one. They are scared to death, right? And so David asked the same question. Hey, what's, what's going to be the reward? What's going to happen for those who might take on and conquer this thing, conquer this man? What I always think is so interesting is David speaks out this, to truth, this truth. He says, basically, who is this person that he would defy the armies of the living God? Right? The Philistines, they have their gods. Like Rick already reminded us this morning, they are all dead. My friends in India and many other places too, they have their gods, millions of them. They are all dead. Hear the Lord today. (laughs) If the devil or the world or the flesh would ever come after you, you can speak like David spoke. Who would defy the army of the living God? You guys, that's what we need in our, that's that spirit Michael's been writing about. We need that warrior spirit that says, who would dare defy the army of the living God, the one who sent his son and died on a cross and rose again three days later, who would defy him? How dare you? Again, as we talked about in Sunday school, let's put these other side issues in the sides where they belong. There are some important discussions there, but let's focus on Jesus, that he is alive, and that we need to tell everybody about that, and we need to stand up for that truth. So David takes that stand. Now, how do the brothers react? Eliab is so hot, isn't he? Go back to your few little sheep. What are you doing? You just came down here to run off your mouth and just to watch the battle. Get out of here. You're driving me crazy. Right? I mean, you can just hear the back and forth, right? All right. And David, of course, says, well, what are you upset with me? Is there not a cause? Look down at verse 30. David before the king. (coughs) Excuse me. So he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And so David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Look here. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. 
Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. So David's talking around camp. Who would defy this guy? And word gets around. Somebody send that little mouthy guy to the king. See what he says in front of the king, right? (laughs) And so David shows up in front of Saul and in Saul's presence. And Saul basically says, what's going on here? And David says the same thing. Who would defy the armies of the living God? And you'll notice what Saul says, right? Verse 33, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You don't have the skill. You don't have the ability. You can't do it. You're too young. This guy's been a warrior since his youth. What have you done? Again, the doubts creep in, don't they? You can't win this battle. You're not skilled at this. You can't witness to this person. What knowledge do you have here? You can't help heal in this situation. What, what can you do about that? You can't help with this financial problem. You don't have enough money. You can't help in this situation of persecution. How are they? That's the other side of the world. How can you do anything? Isn't that how it works, right? Again, it can be from many different areas. It can be from people's flesh. It could actually be from the devil. But telling us, you can't do it. And David could have said, man, if the king is telling me I can't do it, I don't guess I can, right? <laughs> what did David say? Well, hang on now. I've had a little practice. We've been talking about practice, right? Practice? I've had a little practice. Uh, when I was out taking care of the sheep, we had a lion come up one day and took one of the sheep. I tracked it down, and I tracked it down, and I got my sheep back, and I, I killed the lion. God gave the paw of the lion to me. And you guys, we were at the zoo yesterday down in Nashville, and we saw some cougars, some mountain lions. You guys, those paws, they were huge on those boys. And Wendy said it while we were there. She's like, one swat with that paw, and you'd be done. All right? David says, uh, I've been with the lion. I've been with the bear as well. You guys seen bear? Now, there's different sizes of bears, right? But a good old big old bear, I would never want to meet one of those myself, right? David says, I fought against the bear, and I conquered the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of those. And Saul's like, man, you got a little boldness about you, don't you? Right? Well, all right, let's give this a shot. Nobody else is stepping up, right? I think that's pretty interesting of Saul that he's going to actually let David take a shot. And so what does Saul do then? Hmm? Verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put his own coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head, and he fastened his sword over the tunic. Now, you guys know Saul's size, right? He was already a head taller than everybody else. So I'm guessing this is just all penology here. But in my mind, Saul was probably like 6'7", something like that. Everybody else around town was like (laughs) 5'10". Okay? So David was not a super tall guy. If you guys know the story with Samuel goes looking for the king to anoint, he takes Eliab and says, oh, this is the guy, because he looks like a king. He's king material. And God says, no, no, Uh, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart, right? I want the little runt. (laughs) I want the runt of the litter, the youngest. So here's David. You can kind of imagine this, right? He's trying to put on Saul's great big old armor and wear his clothes and Put that sword, I get that big old bronze helmet that doesn't even fit his head on, right? And he's like, I can't do this. 
Now, this is a really good analogy. I don't want to take you too far down this road, but you guys know this truth, right? You cannot battle the enemy with somebody else's battle armor. Hear the Lord today. That's not how it works. Right? Oh, man, that lady, she sings so good for the Lord. Oh, I wish, if I could sing for the Lord, that would be my, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, you can't. And that's okay. Because God didn't give you that gift, right? Man, if I could have a boldness and I could just go up to people and just be so out there and so aggressive and tell them about Jesus, I wish I had that gift. God didn't give you that gift. Use the gift he gave you. Your preacher is always jealous of this one. If I could get a chainsaw and rev that thing up and cut down those trees and those disaster projects, and if I had great big old muscles and throw those logs around and help those old ladies that had all that stuff falling on their houses and do it for free, wouldn't that be awesome? If I had that gift, man, I could really fight a battle like that. God did not give me a mechanical gift at all, people. <laughs> it is not in my body. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to practice and fight with the gifts God has given me. You hearing the Lord today? I know I'm not good at it, but it's what I do. And so in our place right now, I play that crazy guitar. Something to do. Something God gave me, I'm going to use it, right? And as horrible sometimes as the speaking is, God gave me this ability to at least not be scared when I'm preaching. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to use my gift, right? What's your, what's your armor today? Hello, the Lord's trying to speak to you this morning. What's your armor today? What gift did he give you to fight with? Are you still trying to fight with somebody else's battle armor? Because it's not going to work, is it, right? We need to be practicing the gifts that the Lord gave us so that when the time comes, we are prepared and ready to use them for his glory. And what I love about David is he says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off, right? He got rid of them. And I like this quote here from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Faith is simply a refusal to panic, right? Everybody else in that situation was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And David's like, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? This is what we're going to do. We're going to do what the Lord said. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to panic it, right? Jesus says each day has enough troubles of its own. So why are you worrying about tomorrow, right? Today is the day you've been given. Serve the Lord today. So again, a few things here just to think about. God looks on the heart. David didn't look like much, and Saul had already written him off, and he's about to do the most amazing thing in the history of Israel, right? We need to have a faith like David had, and we can't use what has always worked in the past or what everybody else thinks will work. Did you hear that? We can't use what has always worked in the past or what everybody else thinks will work. We need to use the gifts that God has given us and practice with those and use those gifts. Hear the Lord today. This is for our church as well. Well, this is what churches do. Churches have bands and churches have revivals or churches have fairs or churches have whatever you think. This is what churches do. No, 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 no. We're going to do what the Lord says do, right? That was the whole point of this summer. What's the Lord saying for our church? What's the gifts he's given us to use? Let's use those and practice those for his glory. At the right time, he'll make his name great the way he sees fit. <laughs> we don't need to be somebody else. 
We need to be who the Lord has called us to be. Amen? Amen. And that's what David did. That was so good. And I think that's good for all of us today. <clears throat> now, there is a little risk, right, in being the pioneers. I like this quote. I just thought I'd share this. Urban Ports, he was head of a newspaper which was not really willing to change. He said, well, the pioneers, those are the guys with the arrows in their backs, right? <laughs> you guys, if you do take the risk in faith, guess what? Are you going to get shot at? You better believe it, right? It's coming, so be prepared. All right, just about done. The reason for the story, if nothing else, grab hold of this paragraph here today and let the Lord challenge your heart about the whole point of this. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 40. So then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand he approached the Philistine. Verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Verse 43, He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That's fairly important there. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do not miss that. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. (laughs) That's good stuff, isn't it? David goes down to the brook because he got rid of the sword, he got rid of the javelin, he got rid of the armor, and he gets five smooth stones. Right? Now you've heard a lot more, a lot better preachers than me wax eloquently on the five smooth stones. Just a couple ideas. One is that, hey, David was going ready, right? Could be that. Always make sure you're prepared. Another thing was Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> I don't know if he was thinking that far in advance, but that's kind of interesting, right? I only need five bullets, basically, is what David was thinking. I don't know. Either way, he came ready to the fight. Hear the Lord today. Please hear the Lord today, right? Don't show up in the middle of the week and you haven't studied and you haven't prayed and you haven't been doing what the Lord wants you to do and say, God, give me a victory. God's going to tell you, go back to the woodshed and get to practicing. Hello? This is so good for me today. I need this. Right? We just think we want God to show up and do it all and say, I haven't done anything, but you go be great. <laughs> and God says, you need to get ready. Right, you guys know the, the story about the farmer, right? They've been drought forever. But he started plowing the fields. Why was he plowing? Because he was preparing for the rain to come. He expected God to do something. He didn't just sit and wait for God to plow the fields too. We need to be getting prepared. We need to get ready. We need to be ready to roll. And David was ready to go. Now, briefly, we hit this here where Goliath, he defied David. And the scripture says that he cursed David by his gods. See what Goliath is doing? Your God, he's nothing, right? Oh, brother, 
You're one of those Christians, aren't you? You think Jesus is still alive. Yeah, right. He's dead as a doornail. He's never coming back. You need that old crutch. You're such a wimp. Jesus was, if anything, maybe a decent teacher, but he was never God, never was any of that. I don't know where you come up with that. He's useless to you now. I hope that makes you just a little bit mad. It kind of makes me a little angry to hear those things, don't you? You guys, there's people believe that today. That's what, that's what Goliath was doing to David by cursing David's God with his gods. We'll see whose gods are victorious, what Goliath was saying. I'm going to show you. <laughs> we'll show you the Philistine gods and how strong they are. Goliath didn't have a clue who he was attacking. Hello? Who's got your back up today? Isn't that good? Who's behind you? How dare you defy the armies of the living God? All right. Just quickly, again, the Lord doesn't need a sword and a spear. He doesn't need a fantastic preacher or a fabulous music program. He doesn't need a gym or a beautiful building. He doesn't need a seminary trained speaker or a scholar. He needs somebody who is available and who has trusted him in the past and will trust him in the now, and that's what he needs. The battle is the Lord's. He can fight his own battles. All right, verse 48, the Lord delivers. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And the Philistines saw their hero was dead. They turned and ran. Verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he saw, said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. What a picture, right? It's crazy. Those little boys out there, the big giants come with the shield bearer and they're coming down to meet him. And Goliath is all angered and furious. He is cussing up a storm, naming off all of his gods and how they're going to wipe out David's God and how what Goliath is going to do with David's little bitty stickly body. Are you a dog that you come out with meat sticks? David yanks out that sling. And like he's done many times before, he's practiced. He let that baby fly, and bam, it hits Goliath right in the forehead, and down he goes face first. Can, I can just hear the whole Philistine army gasp at the same time, can't you? <gasps> oh, no. No way. A quick aside, not nearly as big, but yesterday, there was the biggest upset in Big Ten football history in 40 years. Illinois beat Wisconsin. <laughs> it was crazy. And you know what I was doing? Oh, oh, no, I can't believe this. I was so happy. And you know what my Wisconsin friends were doing? Oh, no, I can't believe this. 
right? That's a, that was that same expression, except that now is a run for their life, right? The Philistines, they were hedging all their bets on their mighty warrior, and he was taken down. David takes Goliath's sword and takes off his head. Remember how heavy that thing would be, right? And then he goes and meets the king of all things, right? And Saul says, Who's, whose son is this? Why do you think Samuel points that out? Whose son is this? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, and he shall save his people from their sins. And do you know the, the lineage of this son, this God-man named Jesus? <laughs> it comes right through this little shepherd boy. Isn't that amazing how God works? Right? Nobody else would have picked David. He's the runt. God said, that's the guy. Nobody else would have picked David in this battle, right? There is no chance that he's going to defeat Goliath. God says, this is not David's battle. It's mine. I got this. And God delivered his servant. Why? Did you miss it while ago? I skipped over it real quick on purpose to make you think about it for a second. Why did God do this? Did God do this today so I could come up here and preach to you and say, you know what? You're going to have giants in your life, but you can go slay them. <laughs> That's a popular message, isn't it, right? It feels good. But that wasn't the point, was it? What was the purpose? The purpose of this whole event was that the whole earth would know that there is a living God, I added living, a living God in Israel. Right? God is preparing you, if you will let him, he's preparing you on a daily basis for a battle that is about to come up in your path. But you better be practiced up. You better be prayed up. You better be ready to step up when the Lord gives you the opportunity. And when he does, what's he going to do? He's going to make his name great so the whole world will know that there is a God in heaven. His son, his name is Jesus, and he's coming again to take us home. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? That's what it's about. It's about his glory. It's not about my overcoming this battle and this victory and whatever. It's about God's name. It's about Jesus being born through the lineage of David. And we get to be a part of that because God chose us that we would receive his son. We've received him. We get to be a part of the story. Wow, right? Practice up. Encourage your hearts this week. Practice up. Pray up. Get ready. Don't be using everybody else's gifts. Don't be having gift envy all over time because you can't do what everybody else can do. Do what the Lord gave you and do that for his glory. All right. Point of the message today isn't that you just need to give God your giants and he'll slay them all, to be honest. Most of the time, the big guys win, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. David had been living a life of faithfulness. He had been using the gifts God had given him and he was willing to stand up for his Lord. Because of David's faithfulness and the Lord's deliverance, the whole earth would know of Israel's God. It was about the Lord's name and the Lord's renown. God wants to make his name great through our church and through your life. The question is, will you be bold enough to take a stand for him? And will you daily use the gifts you've been given? God is preparing you for the big things by seeing if you will be faithful in the day-to-day -day things. How faithful. Let's stand this morning. Thank you so much for your patience. I know that was a long, but such a good story too. Let's take a little time together to pray today. Ask the Lord to help us to be faithful in the day-to-day -day uses of our gifts, 
that we would be exercised and practiced and ready, that when he calls on us, that we would be bold and we would take a stand just like David took a stand, all right?